step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And Glenn, uh, last week we knew that we'd have something to discuss. It could have been the end of the season for the Predators or right in the thick of it for the Predators. And they are right in the thick of it. Uh, but let's go ahead and address last night's game. It was, if anything, the Predators are proven, one, that they belong in the playoffs. They're making this extremely tight. Uh, I mean, having three straight games go to overtime just shows how tight it is. Uh, they also proved that they can find a way to stifle the Carolina Hurricanes and their speed. They just weren't able to do it the entirety of the game, but they they proved that they could control the pace of a game if they are able to. And then you have Martin uh, Natchez uh, come in and just do his thing uh, and score that game-time goal, which changed the momentum of the game. But uh, just overall looking at it, and I'm not trying to paint it with positivity here, but when you look at the two teams and where I think most of us expected the Predators to be, even though I think a lot of folks picked the Hurricanes in six, which could still end up being the Hurricanes in six, is a different roadmap to Hurricanes in six. It's a different roadmap for the Predators to get to this point that they are very much in this series and it has not been blowouts. They, you know, it has been something where they squeak by and things that they have stayed with the Hurricanes so much in this series, just apart from game one, even then it wasn't awful. It was still bad, but it wasn't awful. And they've made adjustments every single game to prove that they belong. Yeah. I like your point about, you know, it's a different roadmap there. I mean, the Predators diminished Carolina's opportunities of possession in their zone. I mean, that third period, the Predators slowed this game down. Um, they made Carolina dump the puck and chase it. And that's not quite the level of attack that we were seeing on a regular basis with this team, especially against a Carolina team, you know, who's known for shutting down the opposition. So I think we're getting a glimpse of the capability of this team, but also of the strategy of this team has started to figure out how to possibly come out of this first round successfully. Um, and aside from, you know, a couple of things not going in their favor, to me, in last night's game, they looked to be the stronger and more persistent team here for the majority of the game. Um, I mean, Carolina on paper still looks to be the favored better team, but also thinking about what defines a good team is figuring out how to shut down a really good team. And it looks like Nashville has figured that out to some degree. Um, I think they just need to capitalize on some of the opportunities that they were given, quick little moments of should I pass, should I shoot? We saw Roman Yossi with a clear path to scoring last night and he passed the puck. And it was, that's rare to see that from Roman Yossi as yeah. well. And it's almost like he thought about it for a second as opposed to just letting his hockey instincts take over. And that's, like I said, not something you typically see with Roman Yossi, but we also saw it with Johansson and Cousins having a little bit of a similar opportunity. So I hope they capitalize on those opportunities 
and then, you know, get a couple of good bounces in their favor. And they have a very, very good chance to push this to a game seven and possibly take that game seven. I do. It's been quite the chess match, too, between these two coaching staffs. And you can see it because the adjustments have been there for both sides, whether it's adjusting to penalties that are being called or just in the style of play. And John Hines, I'll, I'll give him credit with and the coaching staff credit for how much they've adjusted uh, to figure things out. Now, there's still some questionable things like Wiseman Harper still in the lineup, but overall, uh, they made some good adjustments from the first two games and have gotten better. They have gotten better as the series has progressed. Uh, last night was the best they've looked all series in terms of they were controlling parts of the game. And yeah, they just got through and that's going to happen against a very good team, but they proved that they can hang with Carolina. They've more than proven they can hang with Carolina. I mean, they went to double overtime. overtime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they've proven that they can beat Carolina. They can beat Carolina in the playoffs too. When things are a different animal. I mean, we all know this is a different beast being in the playoffs in terms of how you play. And a lot of the, the veteran leadership for the National Predators are showing, too, that they can adapt and they're willing to adapt and listen and buy in. We saw the buy-in happen for the National Predators by a lot of players uh, to buy into a system. And this isn't just a system that's being played. It's adjusting. I mean, they went to the lock and they clogged up the neutral zone and it stifled Carolina to the point that there are so many stoppages. And they were talking about in the broadcast multiple times, too, that – that Carolina could, couldn't get anything going. That was the plan. You could tell that was the plan is let's just make sure we have plenty of stoppages and expand the game, slow the game down by having stoppages and clogging up the neutral zone. And it's not even a goaltender stopping the play. It's a stoppage of play because of offside or a stoppage of play because the puck goes out or little things where you have an active sticks to get deflections to force the puck out, but just stopping and controlling the play. And that worked very much in Nashville's favor. Now, had they had a 3-1 lead, had they converted on one of those chances, then they would have probably shut it down even more. And that would have led to a win. Unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. And that's kind of the story here is that just wasn't enough. They're doing a lot of good things, but there's more and more that needs to be done. Like you mentioned the Roman Yossi thing where my timeline on Twitter just blew up with shoot it Roman. And when it's not just those uneducated fans yelling, shoot it in the stands. Like we typically see when it's everyone yelling, shoot it. He probably should have shot it. Uh, it's it's all those little things right there of taking advantage of the opportunities. And you can tell in postgame last night as well that they're still confident. Roman Yossi still very confident in the way he was talking. John Hines still confident. He's frustrated, of course, but still confident because the team has proven that they can adapt and that they can win. They know. They know they had Carolina on their heels and then all momentum flipped with that nature's goal very late in the game. But they know they had Carolina on their heels because they had rattled Nadelkovich plenty of times and they're doing the things to be physical enough to rattle the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes, they don't have near as much grit as the Predators do. And I know I hate even bringing that up, <laughs> but in terms of grit, of getting under other teams' skin, that's what I'm talking about grit, not just guys and go out and lay hits but you have to have guys that can do more than that that's why people are liking what colton sisson's line is doing like Jakob trending who can obviously lay the body but then gets two goals or a tanner Janot or matthew olivier guys that can be like the nick cousins has done that plenty of times eric halla has been mixing it up phil forsberg knows how to mix it up with his um, poop eating grin plenty of times uh, matthias ekholm can do that they've gotten more difficult to play against. And that's what that was the goal is to be more difficult to play against. Is it always going to turn out in wins? No, but they're definitely giving Carolina a run for their money. And now they have their backs against the wall. 
They're coming home to Nashville. Let's see how they can respond. The Predators in their history have not always been the best in elimination games, but obviously every year is absolutely different. And this year's team has a different feel. Everything they battled for. This wasn't a thing where they just kind of cruise in the playoffs. They had to battle to get into the playoffs and they're going to have to battle to survive once again. They are. And I think, I mean, I think we, we have seen in Predators past, they do have the ability to be very flexible when their backs are against the wall. It might not always go in their favor, but they do have something deeply rooted in them. And it might be that little bit of grit you talked about, um, but they do have the ability to do that and dig themselves out. They also have the ability to, like you said, I mean, they, they're not only surviving these games against Carolina, they are forcing Carolina into double overtime, not letting Carolina do anything in some cases. And so I think that, I mean, if, if you do not win a game five, which the Predators did not do, if you don't win that, I think that's why Roman Yossi and still has that confidence because he knows that one slight change in last night's game, one slight different, whether it was his decision to maybe shoot instead of pass, that could have been a difference maker. One thing could have been a difference maker. It was not a blowout. It was not getting dominated the entire time and trying to squeak by. It was them playing head to head with a very, very good Carolina team and shutting them down in a lot of ways. So, I mean, if you're going into game six after losing game five, I definitely can still have the confidence in what we saw, you know, even a, even in a game lost, we still saw a lot of great things that are to game six. It's just, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot because Carolina is not going to let up. No, they're, they're absolutely not. So we'll see what adjustments are made and let's, let's address this too. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Natchez goal, the wraparound that beat Yusuf Saros was not a soft goal. It was not. I know people want to find someone to blame, but it was not a soft goal whatsoever. They, if you go back and look at the replay, one, Martin Natchez is fast. He's incredibly fast. He blew by multiple people. So if you want to, but you thought it's a team, you blame the whole team for allowing that to happen. But he blew past the the forwards and the defense, and he made this slight little move just enough to freeze Yusuf Saros. That's why Saros was in the position he was in, because of a little juke move, a little fake that made Saros think that he was going to shoot it there. And once Saros bit, he did not have enough to force over to get the push off from the post to get around and stop the wraparound. That was, pure, that was skill on Natchez's part. Skill and speed. I mean, it does not take but half a second for a player like that to get around to the right side of the net. Right. Like you said, I mean, in that split second, there's that not enough time for Yusufaros to get enough momentum to push off that post and get over to the other side. Yeah. But, I mean, even when you saw when he did get over there, it was like half a second, if even right. that. So there's nothing soft about that. That is just the skill that a Carolina Hurricanes team has, and for them they have it and it worked out well for them but i mean we've known sorrows to be able to move oh like yeah lightning. he's fast and exactly so i don't know uh, there's nothing uh, not on sorrows and sorrows bit because that's what nature's gave him and that's the skill there too and in terms of bounces i mean the predators had some bounces go their way uh in this game i mean the, the first goal of that off of Yakov Trenin's nub, basically. That that's a bounce. Uh, what am I supposed to say? Yakov Trenin's stick. Uh, it goes and bounces in. 
or the way the goaltender interference call went. And those are bounces that went Nashville's way. And then the winner by stall batted out of midair. And Saros again played it well. He poked it and it went in midair and stall was able to, to whack it and it went in. So that's just, that's hockey. Things happen in, in that, and that's hockey. We'll, we'll maybe touch on officiating in the last one. It's just been awful all around. It's not one way or another. It's just been awful all around. That's just what it's been like. But we'll get to that a little bit later. We have a great rest of the show lined up for you. We have Abby Labar. She's with Valley Sports South. She covers the Hurricanes to, to get a viewpoint of what she's seeing out there, too, and how the Predators have frustrated the Carolina Hurricanes. We want to get that viewpoint because it's not going, like we said, the roadmap has not been the way that I think a lot have expected this to go uh, in, in this series. And then we'll have Jack Woods of Penalty Box Radio coming up later. He is back from college and then watch the games and want to give him some airtime because he's been a great contributor to PBR. And obviously plenty of questions to answer in our last segment. So up next, Abby Labar, Valley Sports South, coming up Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and excited to have our next guest back. Obviously, we knew there'd be a return with the Hurricanes and the Preds meeting in the playoffs. We have Abby Lavar joining us from Valley Sports South. Abby, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. We meet, yes, again, but hey, it's, this has been a fun series, so I'm okay with a, a few extra games here. It absolutely has. It's been, I think, for a lot of folks, just in terms of national media and hockey fans in general, been one of the more intriguing series, as well as the Florida-Tampa Bay one. So, hey, the Central getting it done, providing entertainment. So, looking at the series overall, and I don't want to put you in the spot saying, is this where you thought it would be? But this is probably a little different than what some national media and probably some Hurricanes fans thought. But the Predators have been doing a pretty good job of frustrating the Hurricanes. And granted, the Hurricanes have responded well. I mean, the Nature's Cold definitely responded there. What has this been like from your perspective, from the Hurricanes' perspective, and how the Hurricanes have responded to the frustrations the Predators have provided them. Yeah, well, look, I'll be honest, coming in when we were making our predictions as far as what the series was, I said six games. I, you know, I was like, look, it's going to go six games. And I go back, like, before we even came in to, before we even started playing, a lot of the conversation was, well, the Canes had the upper hand on Nashville in the regular season. For some reason, what kept coming to my head was going back to last season when the Hurricanes were swept by the New York Rangers in the regular season. And then they come back in the qualifying round and totally hand it to the Rangers. And so I was being a little pessimistic in a way that was like, okay, like I know, you know, we won six games of the regular season. The Canes are number one in the division, but I, it, the playoffs are a whole different beast. Like it brings some different sides out of teams. Um, and, and you have to, you know, there's all, that's why there's always an upset. Right. And I'm thinking like, Oh God, I hope the Canes aren't the team that are upset because this is a predators team that we watched through the second half of the season. And we were all saying, and even Rod Brennamore said before coming into the series, this is the predators team that we expected to see. It just took them a little while to get there. So from the hurricane standpoint, yes, the predators have a hundred percent definitely, I guess I would, I don't know if rattled is the right word because the canes are a tough team to, to be rattled. And I think that's more of a mental thing, but I mean, you see it, they're pushing credit to them, what they've been able to do, throw the canes off a little bit. Um, and then obviously having UC Soros in net, that's also where uh, my six games came from, because I said, there's no doubt that this guy is incredible and he's going to steal a game um, for the Predators from the canes. So it's been a fun series, uh, that's for sure. And, you know, credit to what, what is going on in Nashville and um, what John, John Hines has been able to do as far as shifting around his lineup. I know Rod Brindamore has kind of done the same thing a little bit. Um, and we saw that last night on the power play, him trying some new things. So uh, you knew it would be a game of chess, though, with how many times these teams have faced each other. 
And Abby, Jacob uh, Slavin made his way back into the lineup last night after missing a few games with injury, which as we all got to see, I mean, Jacob Slavin, he takes away a lot of opportunities for the Preds to set up shop around the net. Um, so what does a player of Slavin's stature and style bring to this team that makes it so incredibly difficult for the opposition? Well, he's he's one of the most elite defensemen in the and elite is the word I think that's used so much because he's so dynamic and there's he's so intelligent and he's such a good player. Like when you take one of the the best or most elite players in the entire league out of a lineup, of course you're gonna see, and that's where it is, it's those little things, right? And so in game two, you know, the hurricanes played fine without them. They came out with the win, but in games three and four, and then as you're going into those extra frames, that's when you start to realize how impactful a player like Jacob Slavin can be. It's, it's, you look back and you see, okay, we lost by, you know, maybe a little mistake here, or, um, you know, not getting a stick on, on, you know, a pass or a shot or not getting your body in front of it. Those little things that Jacob is so good at doing. That's when you think, okay, he could be a game changer. And last night you go back to Marty Natchez and his game time goal. Like Jacob Slavin was a part of setting that up. You take Jacob out, that doesn't happen. So it's those, it's those smart hockey plays that, that hockey IQ that Jacob has. And then the leadership, of course, it, you really do realize you're missing it um, when it's not there. So having him back was absolutely a huge part um, of last night's win. And uh, hopefully he stays in the lineup. So. And in the post-game presser, I think we got to see a little bit of that resiliency and what Jordan Stahl said. He, he mentioned the fine line between staying calm and creating urgency. And I think me personally, I think I, in that Nietzsche's wraparound goal, beating Soros to the right side of the net, fully encapsulates that idea because the Predators did yeah. control the pace for the majority of that third period until that goal. So just specifically, this kind of bounces off of that first question, but specifically when you saw that goal, what does that say to you about that resiliency of that Carolina team when they're driven to the point of frustration and they're, they're methodic enough to use it to their yeah. advantage and not let it get out of control and spiral downward? Well, that's kind of been a little bit of, of that's been a topic of conversation with this team a few times this year, because when you look at what Rod Brindamore and his system are, it's, it's grind style, it's battles, it's that heavy forecheck. And when you have these skill players, these talented players like Marty Natchez and Andre Sechnikov and Sebastian Ajo, it's hard sometimes to tell them, especially as young players who know they have that skill, like, how do you tell them to dump the puck and chase it instead of, you know, you know, skate in like Marty did and go with the wraparound. And so that was definitely one of those things where it's like, there's a balance and you, you want to know like, okay, what makes, what makes Marty decide to go in for that uh, and, and decide to choose that play instead of, you know, try to generate um, the four check and, and play that game. And so I think it just I think it just goes to show that the confidence that all these players have in themselves and then I think there is that trust with Rod and the players I think is you know if they continue to play their game which they have done they've done everything that Rod has asked them to do and Rod Brindamore's even come out and said after game 4 the second loss he was like I'm very happy with how my team is playing so as a player when you hear that you're like okay I'm doing all the right things there's also that understanding between player and coach of utilize your talent and skill 
in the, in this, like, be smart about it though. Like it's okay to do that, but just, just be smart about it. Be confident about it. And it's not like Marty's trying that every game. Um, and, and even Rod said, those are the plays that are, you're going to get, you know, six to every six to eight games, you're not going to get them every time. And so it's kind of been interesting to follow that as a kind of an underlying storyline throughout the season of how to stick with your game, stick what makes you successful, but then also allow your players who have that skill to show that. So um, it's, it shows, I think, a lot of maturity as far as this team goes and then, you know, how much they bought in as well. And so I think there's a good balance of both. And that, I mean, that was an incredible goal. That was, whew. I'm glad he I'm glad he tried that and didn't look back. <laughs> uh, it was one of those incredible goals. And I was listening to Darren Donick and Chaser in 1025 earlier today. And a caller called in and said that it was a soft goal that Saros allowed him. Like, well, what? Yeah. <laughs> that was nowhere near soft. Marty, that was a skill goal. Marty Natchez <laughs> is one of the fastest players. Like, I want yeah. I, I want to like is there in the all-star skills competition they do a skate race right like they do a yeah they do speed totally speed yeah yeah i like his he is probably one of the fastest players in the nhl like because you can tell a lot of times i get lost like trying to figure out numbers and who's out there (laughs) i know when marty's out there because he is just flying so no the whole shot sorry i was gonna stop oh yeah yeah, no. <laughs> and as the little move too is the fake that Natchez made as well to to freeze Saros for that split second. And all we know in yeah. hockey, all it takes is a split second to get a goaltender to freeze. And had him going left, and all he had to do was utilize the speed, whip around to whip it yeah. back in. Saros had no chance no to go him. east to west on that. No chance no to shot. push off the post. So not a soft goal. That was high skill, high speed from Natchez. So looking at the atmosphere too, these two teams, these two organizations are going back and forth and one upping each other when it comes to allowing fans. And it just came out today that if there is a game seven, Carolina is going to boost it again in terms of allowing fans in the building. We all know this is controlled by the NHL. So before folks are like, why are these organizations do this? The NHL controls this. Uh, but what has the experience been like? Because obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs and any playoffs in general for any sport, it's all about the atmosphere and the fans getting to enjoy that. How much do you think the players have fed off of this? And not necessarily like a home ice advantage for either team, but just an energy in a building and how it makes it more exciting. How do you think that's affected the players? I think, I mean, going back to your original point, like these are probably two of the most passionate fan bases in the NHL. And so that hundred percent has been a huge impact on these players. Um, so yeah, just to, as far as the, for anyone who has questions, as far as the us getting more capacity, yeah, we've been working with the NHL and uh, there's a certain like HVAC system that the NHL requires buildings to have. And you actually, there's like more that are required down South because of the humidity. Um, and it's for both the fans and obviously the ice. And so as soon as um, our governor came out and said, Hey, you guys can have more fans we started getting to work as an organization trying to get those HVAC systems and the, um, the air systems they needed in as quickly as possible. And so it's my understanding that that's one of the reasons we're able to have more fans working with the NHL is we got some of those systems installed and in the building. So that is one of the reasons for anyone that was just, um, curious, but cause I know I was, I'm like, how do we, uh, cause when you guys announced 12,000, when Nashville announced 12,000, I'm like, how is this happening? And then we got a little more understanding of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so fun to watch the storyline of the fans and the intensity. And I think it shows more when you go into overtime, we've had three games that have gone into yeah. overtime and that's when you rely even more on your fan bases. And I've Jordan Martinuk has talked about it. He's such a big, um, you know, he's a huge, uh, 
um, fan favorite here in North Carolina. And his thing is always like, you know, we, we rely on the fans so much more than you guys, you know, rely on us. And it's, uh, it's the little plays like the, the big hits and the, um, you know, killing off a, a, a power play, like those momentum, smaller momentum shifting opportunities when the crowd can chime in and truly help fire that momentum. And especially when they understand that those are the important plays uh, where they need to, to kind of get fired up because the worst thing that could happen is when you're in a building where fans don't necessarily understand what's going on or, you know, and you guys kill off a big penalty and uh, then it's like, nobody's cheering like that, you know? And so Crickets. it's cool to see how Nashville and the Nashville fans and the Canes fans are just absolutely nuts about their teams and uh, totally helping as being part of the driving force of all this. Well, it's, it's been a really exciting series. I know a lot of eyes are on it because it's just been a grinded out type of series, not necessarily a lot of offense, but every goal really does matter because I believe the stat came out that only under, just under 13 minutes uh, have been played when it's not been a one goal difference in this entire series. Crazy. And not it's, surprising. It crazy. I even not said surprising. that going into intermission yesterday. I was like, all right, we're tied after the first period. I'm like, how many times have I said that we're tied after a period in this series? Like too many. It's crazy. Well, Abby, as always, we appreciate you joining us and Hey, get some rest, get some coffee in that system tomorrow. It's going to be oh, a God. long night. And with the way these two teams are going, it could be going right into Friday. Yeah. Uh, so right. we appreciate your time. Thank you guys. Abby Labar, Bally Sports South, joining us, covers the Carolina Hurricanes, reporter there in the arena too. And I can only imagine what it's been like for her, Glenn, in covering this team in that arena, just like it's been here in Nashville for, for the media folks here. But also 9.30 for those folks tomorrow is yeah. going to be exhausting. <laughs> I, on a non-game night, I'm already tucked in bed at that time. These people have to be ready on their A game. Um, right. But there's nothing like the thrill of the playoffs that can get you through those late nights. So especially with this matchup, because it's it's been an absolute blast to watch. 100 percent. All right. Up next, we have Jack Woods of Penalty Box Radio. He's back from school and wanted to bring him on to get his thoughts on game five and going into game six. That's up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025, the game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025, the game, Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And I guess I'm excited for our next guest. No, no I'm really excited to have him back. Uh, it's been a long time because we really haven't been in studio much. And obviously with pandemic going on and everything, and he's been up at school, but Jack Woods of Penalty Box Radio, uh, happy to have you, man. Welcome back. Oh my God, Justin. It's so great to be back hosting Saturday Night Live. It's been, it's been a long time. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Oh, uh, here we go. All right. So Jack, Jack has been in school up at DePaul, uh, just outside Indianapolis, uh, studying I mean, communications and he's going to be actually studying in Chicago at Second City. Is that right, Jack? Yes, that is right. That is right. Uh, just got done with sophomore year and uh, I'll be up there in the fall and then I'll be coming back down uh, junior year in the spring semester. That's awesome. I mean, Second City, that's that's where careers definitely get a start and you get discovered in Second City. So congratulations on that. But let's 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 talk about hockey and everything, too, because I know it's, it's sometimes difficult when folks are out at school and everything to keep up with it. But let's go ahead and start at the beginning uh, the beginning. What would be the second semester of school for you when the when the predator season started? What has been your take on this season as a whole from January through the, the troubled times in February all the way to the playoffs now? You know, I, I got to say, it was really rough watching this team at first. Uh, it was 
First of all, it was just boring to watch this team at the beginning of the season. It just wasn't fun. They weren't winning. And, you know, they kind of abandoned this this projected youth movement that they wanted to do. And then injuries kind of forced Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier, you know, all the Ellie Tolvin, especially all these guys have forced them into the lineup, made them hungry, made this team hungry. And I think it gave this team new life. Uh, I wrote an article about a mental health guide. Basically, like if you don't like watching this team right now, all you got to do is change the channel. And it seems that they took that to heart and they've squeezed they're squeezing every bit of talent out of this roster that they have. I especially love what I'm seeing out of uh, Glenland and Cunning. Uh, I think that Glenland is the best forward on the Predators right now, which I didn't think I would say at the beginning of the season. But it's it's been a lot of fun to watch this series, especially these two teams, Carolina and Nashville, don't like each other. And I'm all here for it. Jack, I want to dig into this series a little bit because it's far from boring, like you said, the start of that uh, season was. So Nashville, Carolina... Justin and I and a lot of people had actually talked prior to the start of this series, right, on how we thought this was likely going to go. And Justin and I had talked about it in the first segment. Um, Justin said there, it was a different roadmap, right, for the Nashville Predators to get to where they are now, to the end of game five, approaching game six. What are your overall thoughts on how this series has played out? And has anything about this Nashville Predators team surprised you? Or is this kind of how you saw the series going? I did not expect the Predators to be playing this well against Carolina. I'm not going to lie. Uh, first of all, I don't like Andrei Svechnikov or Nino Niederreiter anymore. You know, those guys are just dead to me as players. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're jerks. They're jerk. They're, they're jerks. They're a bunch man. of jerks. They're what a bunch of jerks, man. No, no, it's, it, it's a lot of fun watching these two teams battle it out. You know, I especially love, you know, the, 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 the rivalry. And I think the one piece that's kind of, uh, throw me for a loop here is uh, how how much Philip Forsberg is impacting the team, even if it's not on the scoreboard. Uh, in game three, he led the team in eight uh, zone transitions, and five of those led to scoring chances. Uh, he may not be, you know, scoring hat tricks or 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 you know, scoring goals every single night. But one thing that I really like is that Philip Forsberg is continuing to do the things to make this uh, team successful. Uh, even if it's not scoring goals. And uh, if there's one player that I kind of need a little bit more from, it's Roman Yossi. I know that he had the primary assist on Yakov Trenin's first goal, but uh, I think that Yossi has a little bit more in the tank. Um, that being said, uh, one player that really surprised me was Ryan Ellis. You know, they got Ekholm and Ellis back together, and Ellis has just been outstanding. I love what I see from Ellis. Uh, could use a little bit more from Yossi, but – uh, I predicted that uh, the series would be over in game five and the Canes would be moving on to the second round. So the fact that we've got another game in Nashville, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do on Thursday. And Jack, a lot of the reason why this Nashville Predators team is not out of the series yet is UC Soros. Um, I mean, looking at him overall, it's just it's so incredible to watch his athleticism, his flexibility, his quickness. Um, Justin had mentioned actually that he had heard someone say that he let in a soft goal on that Nietzsche's wraparound goal last night, which is fascinating to me that someone thought that was a soft goal. So what are your overall thoughts on, on how UC Saros has kept this Nashville Predators team right at the top with the Carolina Hurricanes? 
UC Soros is the real freaking deal, Glenn. I love UC Soros. I, I'm so I, I'm so excited for UC Soros' future in Nashville or uh, or Seattle. You know, you never know. But um, <laughs> no, I UC Soros has just been outstanding. I won't say he's Pecorine 2.0 because I don't think Pecorine was this good at, at this young. I mean, he set a save record and then breaks the save record he just made in the next game. I mean, he's he's playing out of his skates right now. I <laughs> and he's under six foot, you know, five eight brigade. That's what I'm talking about, UC Soros. But um, <laughs> uh, no, that that goal that he let in on the wraparound was far and away from a soft goal. He knew it was coming at some point. Carolina had been pressuring the whole game, but I, if the Predators lose this series, it is not to UC Soros's fault at all. He is outstanding right now i love uc soros um and they really need to start i think they need to make like a juice t-shirt or you know they need to like they need to brand that up a little bit more because that is he, he's bringing the juice right now he's he's playing amazing now uh, you like it the juice uh you like it uh, you like it the juice uh, <laughs> uh, hey you said you were hosting snl so you gotta like it the juice like All right, juice. Uh, like at the juice. Uh, J- Jack Woods of Penalty Box Radio joining us right now just to kind of help us go over the series here. And Jack, if there's a player that you would like to see more from from the National Predators that could step up, is there a player that you think is underperforming? I know it's it's kind of a loaded question because a lot of these guys really have stepped up. So are there any players that you're like, eh, we really need to see more from you? You could be a difference maker. You know, I mentioned that Yossi could do a little bit more, but as I said before, I think that they are squeezing every bit of talent out of this roster that they have. Uh, what can you say about the fourth line and Tanner Janot and 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 Sissons and Trennan? I mean, what can you say about those guys other than that they are the perfect fourth line for this team? Uh, the Nashville Predators have had a third defensive pairing problem for a very long time. There we go. But... <laughs> You know, uh, I got to say, Matt Benning and, and Ben Harper are not going to win any Vesna trophies or, or not Vesna, or Norris trophies anytime soon. Oh, man, it's been a while since I've talked hockey, but they're not going to be winning any trophies anytime soon. But I'm not messing with those guys. Uh, I, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not messing with those guys because, I mean, they, they bring a, a, an element of physicality. I know that the old hockey intangibles – maybe playing into this a little bit. I would have liked to see Dante Fabro get in the lineup. Uh, you know, he was the best. I didn't know that he was going to be the de- best defenseman on the ice in the last regular season game of the Predators, but uh, I want to see Fabro get in the lineup. I would take Benning out. Um, gives a, I, I mean, I would. Well, what do you, what do you, what are you shaking your head for like that? <laughs> because I'm surprised you said Benning and not Harper. <laughs> Well, Ben Harper, he, he's got a special place in my heart because we finally got rid of Mika Salamaki for that guy. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to give him that. I'm going to give him that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's the reason why, Mr. Woods. <laughs> that's the reason why. <laughs> but, no, like you said, it's, it's one of those things. So many guys have stepped up for this team. So let's flip it then. For the Carolina Hurricanes, who do you think is the most dangerous Carolina Hurricane, the Predators absolutely have to shut down. This is a big time loaded question because there's multiple answers to this one. But if they that's shut he- down this one player, <laughs> yeah, who do you think would be the one? Uh, that's uh, it's like asking a Beatle what his favorite Beatles song is. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, 
when Slavin got back in the lineup, I was like, that's a difference maker. That is a huge is. difference maker. Um, you know, he brought that he got I, he got a primary assist on uh, on a goal last night. Um, but the guy that you got to shut down is Aho. Aho is Carolina's Forsberg. He's making plays away from the puck. He's making the Carolina team get in the predator zone, putting pressure on Soros. Uh, I swear to God, if they put Harper and Benning against the Aho line again, I might just lose it. Why would you put those two guys in the defensive zone? It makes no sense to me, it, but uh, you know, I'm not the coach. I'm not the coach. They don't ask me. They don't ask me. That's what I was waiting for was that take right there. Cause that's a good take. <laughs> that's, that's a good take. Well, Jack, we're so glad you're back in town. Glad school is going really well, especially through everything that has been going on. Uh, just glad that you're, you're doing all right, man. And looking forward to more hockey coverage from you. So appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to come back and host again. God. Jack Woods, Penalty <laughs> Box Radio, fresh off the end of the semester at DePaul University. Appreciate his time. Okay, up next, we're going to answer lots of questions uh, that came in on Twitter. Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here in ESPN, 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And now we have plenty of questions to answer that have come in on Twitter. As always, I always tweet out, hit us up with your questions from Justin B. Bradford on Twitter and Penalty Box Radio on Twitter. If you have something that you want us to answer, you know, feel free to give shoot, shoot us a tweet. Shoot, shoot us a tweet. It'll be good. All right. So here we go. First one. This is coming from 615KC. Who slash what is to blame for the goal that sent the Predators to overtime last night? Uh, uh, Martin H's. <laughs> he's, he's the one you blame. It's This was not a failure of coverage or a failure on the goaltender. This was... Nature's doing what Nature's does and is the speed. Yeah, I mean, the Predators could have defended it better, but the way he went in and just took it over, that was a pure skill move, and that's just going to happen. Uh, not saying that it's it, – it's like sometimes how Connor McDavid could just go and split a defense. The defense could be doing everything they possibly could to stop him, but they won't. There, the Predators are doing everything they could to slow down the Hurricanes, and in that one moment, mm-hmm. Nature's found the hole. And he, he sped right through it. And the thing is, he created space for himself. That's 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 what happened. And it changed the momentum of the game. It does. That's what a really good player can do. Um, they can get through any defenseman. They can, I mean, it just – I watched it about seven times on Twitter. <laughs> I just kept watching it over and over because it was an incredible goal. It really was. Um, I didn't see any lapses. I just saw an incredibly skilled player taking advantage of a split-second opportunity. And it worked. It absolutely did. Absolutely. So, okay, let's go to the next one here. This one comes from Nene Nash 15. What is your strategy? for? What is your strategy for staying awake for a late game? Well, my strategy, because I will be in the building, it'll be really difficult for me to get tired. It'll really set in right immediately as the game finishes, depending on whenever it does finish. Uh, so, you know, we all remember that San Jose game, right? Uh, that was, that was, that was a late game, but if I were at home <laughs> I don't think I could fall asleep during a game, even if it's a boring game. Uh, but for me, it probably could be snacking more than anything else. Not drinking coffee or caffeine. I don't need that quick hit. I need something that I'm actively doing to move my body around more than anything else. Yep. Yeah, that San Jose game, I actually took intermission naps in my chair because I have the ability to fall asleep anywhere, anytime. And I, I fell asleep in the intermissions of that double overtime, triple overtime. And I took little cat naps. Um, so that's what I do. I will be in the arena on Thursday, so I don't know if I'll catnap, but I am a snacker 
as well. So that usually helps me, especially when I'm at home. I'll drink some sparkling water and eat pickle popcorn. That's what I did last night. Pickle popcorn, huh? Yeah, Trader Joe's pickle popcorn. It's seasonal. It only comes out in the summer and it's only here for a few months. So I have Interesting. to buy it up while I can. It's so good. Okay. Oh. Perfect amount of dill. Okay. You gotta try okay. Some. So see, I'm not the biggest dill fan unless it's in like a tartar sauce or in like a tzatziki sauce. So you're not like big that. on a big dill pickle. Like I have dill no. hummus in my fridge too. No, anyway. but I do know like on TikTok, there's a big trend about um, people, uh, girls especially that love pickles. Oh yeah, I drink pickle <laughs> like, juice by itself as shots. I, and I don't know. I I can't do it. I can't, no, I can't do it, Glenn. But I know it's a TikTok trend. So, yeah. and it's nothing weird or nasty. It's just like legitimate. It's like they're the best people on the planet. That's what that's what the trend is. And it's just girls eating pickles. Um, all right. This one comes from one of my my favorite accounts on Twitter. Uh, Forking Sporks from Nash. It's National House Cats. If you were a race car driver, what would your car number? What if you're a race car driver, what car number would you want to race? That's a really good question. No. Um, so if I'm a driver and I'm having to drive that fast, I'm going to go with my favorite number 16 because it resonates with wisdom. It's very intuitive. The sum of the numbers is seven. That's a very highly spiritual number. And if I'm driving a car that fast, I'm going to need all those things. So, <laughs> okay. Now, I do like this one response that came from Mac McAnally, not that Mac McAnally, a different one on Twitter, uh, 96. So it looked like 69 in the review mirror, the person I was lapping. <laughs> I can't. Well oh, that's great. Uh, that is great. That's a good answer. Oh God. I think. Mm, this one's difficult for me, but I think I would want to go probably with, I'd go with my hockey number. I'd go 49. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause you, you have a number to your identity already. Yeah. I have a number to my identity. I'd go 49, but I haven't really thought about that because what I'd probably that be the guy that's a, what is what? 49. I mean, it was Ellis's first number. number. <laughs> so is that just, why you picked it though? That's why I picked it when I started playing okay. years ago. Um, when I was still, when I was still basically a fan, I wasn't even media at that point. So just like, yeah, this is cool. 49. It's a different number. Not many people wear it. So yeah, I went with it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Brian Baston, good friend at OTF. Uh, so you feel like your absence was a distraction for the team, uh, which player would survive the desert the longest for those that don't know, I was in the desert for a few days last week and it was a fun vacation, but someone replied back with Trenton. I think that's a very solid pick. I would say, I would say Tanner, you know, mm-hmm. and I say Tanner, you know, because he would be able to squeeze the life out of anything mm-hmm. to give himself life <laughs> and he wouldn't get called for a penalty either <laughs> while doing it. I'm kind of torn. I would have to say, so my thought process on this is if you are stuck in the desert, you are going to have to have a very calm demeanor or else you're going to lose your mind and you're going to go Fair. crazy. So I'm going to have to say either Yusasaros or Roman Yossi because they both have okay. such a very calm, calm presence about them. And you got you to gotta have that if you're stuck in the desert for Lord knows how long. That is a very good answer. Very good answer. Okay. This one comes from Jordan. Uh, how would you feel if the NHL reformatted the division similar to the NFL with four divisions of four teams of both conferences that would uh, look similar to a map that he 
tweeted out to me, which has Nashville, Carolina, the two Florida teams, has Colorado, Vegas, Arizona, and Dallas, has Minnesota, St. Louis, Chicago, and Detroit, and obviously the, the four Western Canadian teams, then Seattle in there with three California teams. I'm liking that. Mm-hmm. I would like that. I, In terms of travel and in terms of creating good regional rivalries, I want to see more of that because I love the pure hatred teams are having for each other in the playoffs right now because they've seen each, so much of each other in the regular season. Mm-hmm. It makes for entertaining hockey, makes for more storylines, and makes for, I think, more chess match decisions that happen in the playoffs as well. And regionally, yeah, it'd be really cool for Nashville and Carolina to be in the same division. I think that'd be really exciting. And then you have four teams that could all be very competitive as well. I mean, Florida's obviously on the up and up. Tampa's on, is, is at the up. Carolina's on the up and up. And Nashville is kind of in retooling mode right now, too, but they can make it very interesting. And in terms of travel, too, that helps so much for travel purposes. Uh, And then the other Central Division teams, too, of like Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit and St. Louis, those definitely make sense there, too. The West Coast teams make sense. I mean, the ones that's going to stink for the most probably is like Dallas. But even then, Dallas, Vegas, Arizona, Colorado. Yeah, I like that too. The only drawback would be Dallas being in the central and the only drawback for the other one would be Nashville being in the central, but, but you get over that. You get mm-hmm. over that in the time, yeah. the time zones. Yeah. I feel the same way as you. I love, love, love the idea of those closer rivalries. And I love the idea of Nashville and Carolina being, I mean, this, this playoff run is so fun and I know it's got a different vibe because it's the playoffs, but mm-hmm. Carolina team reminds me a lot of Nashville and vice versa in a lot of ways. And the fan bases are just so energetic. It's so fun. And so I love the idea of the rivalries. And also ideally, I think with any realignment, the first thing they'd want to do is hopefully minimize travel for the teams. And I know with Winnipeg and Vancouver, I mean, that's maybe like three hour flight. I don't know. Um, it, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you said, on the East coast, totally makes sense. Everything oh, yeah. is so close. Um, so proximity wise, it's ideal. And I love it for, I love it for the rivalries. Love it. All right. Quick hits here. Doyle Woody, the power play relatively awful or just straight awful, uh, just straight awful. Just straight up. Just straight up. Anything real. Is it relatively awful or straight awful for you? Just straight up. Okay. All right. Derek Duncanson at this point, who definitely isn't protected going to Seattle. That is a very difficult question uh, because a lot of players have shown more value. I think the the at this point, the guys that are most likely to go to Seattle would be like a Colton Sissons, potentially going over there uh, in terms of the pick. And then I think a trade might happen in terms of trying to shift them another way. But I think Colton Sissons is probably the guy. And I hate that because I really like what Sissons brings. He's on a really affordable contract as well. But I think he'd probably be the target. And he could be a guy that could be a second, third line center probably for Seattle. And he could thrive over in Seattle as well and be a built, be a building block for them too. So any, what player for you, Glenn? Um, don't do that to me right now. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sean Tidwell. I mean, oh. <laughs> your, your case for Colton Simmons makes perfect sense, but you know, the stress I get under when I have to think about that. I do. We'll, 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 we'll address that later in more depth at a future short program. Sean Tidwell asks, what's the over under on how many times during game seven, Pierre will talk about the Kaniacs blowing the roof off the place while subsequently showing rows of people with their arms <laughs> crossed. <laughs> Uh, I'll set the over under at seven and I'll take the over. Okay. You're going to go seven for game seven. Yep. What would you take? Um, I'm going to go nine. So you're, you take the, you take, you take the over. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, I got to give a shout out too, because the authentic, the original James Taylor musician mm -hmm. liked and commented oh. on my Instagram post yesterday. Oh. oh. The reason why is because I captioned it. I'm going to Carolina in my mind because the game was played in Carolina. And so, I mean, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious, a little stitious as Michael yeah. Scott would say. Um, so hopefully I didn't, hopefully that wasn't James Taylor's fault, but um, if it was, I own it. But shout yeah. out to James Taylor because he clearly is following this. He watches our show. No. Oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> uh, and our friend Scott Wren does ask, how, how do Predators fans feel about the performance so far? I think most people are feeling positive and that they didn't expect it, just like the roadmap that we talked about that this, they feel good that they've been competitive and it's not been blowouts. They haven't looked like they've been completely outmatched in this series. They're right in there with Carolina. I think overall it's been fairly positive and now that, that raises expectations when things are more positive too. But thank we, you. yeah, we, we do have to get going. So as always, thank you so much. Big thanks to Abby Labar, to Jack Woods, and as always, Glenn Blackwell for being a fantastic co-host and for producer Kenny for taking care of us. So miss anything, penaltyboxradio.com, subscribe to iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher, Google, get all the podcasts on the Penalty Box Radio Network. And this is Justin Bradford. Thanks for tuning in to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.